Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today I'm going to share my interview with author Pete Enns. He wrote a brilliant, theologically heavy, but humorous and accessible book called How the Bible Actually Works. This talk may be heady for some, but I promise you, if you've ever read a verse in the Bible and been challenged, even gotten upset or mad at God, or felt confronted by something you never expected, like racism, sexism, the violence of God, this interview is worth a watch. You're also welcome to stream it from the God is Great podcast if you prefer audio only. I pray you'll open your heart to the notion the Bible is actually far, far, far from black and white. I know a lot of us feel this pressure and even fear that we have to or we're supposed to understand the Bible, that it's concise and non-debatable and easy to understand. But Pete Enns really dives in to help us consider what if God made the Bible so dang complicated for a reason? What if we're we're allowed to exercise wisdom? What if we're allowed to be fallible human beings? We get into all of these questions and so much more. So I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, donate to my Venmo or Patreon if you can. I love you guys. God bless. Hi. Hi, beautiful people. So thank you for joining us, you guys. This is Pete Enns, the author of How the Bible Actually Works, which is a book that I am a massive fan of that I've been recommending to you guys endlessly. Um, Would you tell the God is Great community a little bit about your background and the other books you've written, etc.? Sure. Yeah, I guess my background, um, I've just always sort of been curious about things and about the Bible, especially. And when I started finding that it wasn't really, um, I guess, working out the way I had always been taught that it should be working out, then I just started exploring more and more. And it just led to, you know, I teach, so I'm a professor at Eastern University, which is outside of Philadelphia, and I teach Bible there. So uh, it's just a part of what I do is thinking about the Bible and writing about it. And I've had a few other books, uh, like The Bible Tells Me So, Mm-hmm. which uh, deals with other kinds of themes in the Bible than the one you have there. And the sin of certainty, which is basically all about it's perfectly normal to doubt because people have been doing that since the Bible. So it's really not like an unusual, oh, no, what's wrong with you? I really enjoy writing books for uh, what I call normal people, everyday people. And I remember it dawning on me many years ago, I'd like to write books that my mom could read and understand. And I just think that's that's something that I want to do. So. Yeah, Uh, that's what I have to say. I love this book because it's full of really good dad jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Thank you for understanding. (laughs) I love I love love a dad book. So there's no, you know, profanity or, you know, that are too over the top. It's very accessible for 
any Christian that's seeking. And I thought the most impressive thing was I ordered this stack of books and my dad was so generous and offered to buy them for me. And some of them are more, you know, out there for someone that has a more traditional view of the Bible. But my mm -hmm. dad was drawn to your book, How the Bible Actually Works. And, um, and he didn't, you know, he had really taught me throughout my childhood that I needed to see the Bible as the literal word of God, that everything is, you know, from divinity, like as though every single author of the Bible's pen was being pushed to the paper by God. Yes. And, um, and I was actually assaulted is the word I'll use by that concept. One night I've been reading the Bible every single night for years, over a decade. And I stumbled upon the verse while I was going through my divorce um, that women must be quiet in church, that they're not to speak. And I just remember I closed the Bible and I was so mad and I looked at God and I was like, yo, yeah. <laughs> a woman, how do you expect me to read that? And what am I supposed to draw from that? And I went on like a, a really beautiful, like week long journey. And it was so scary to conceptualize. Mm -hmm. But the answer that came to me was like, this is not my hand pressing every hand to the paper. These are fallible authors. These are, there is humanity infused right. in this book. Right. And your book really gave me permission to articulate that and understand that that's not blasphemous. But mm -hmm. I would also like to ease the God is Great community into this idea because I know some people are very offended by that concept. Um, so where do you think it's like began that we started to feel like we had to interpret the Bible as the inspired infallible word of God? Well, I think, you know, first of all, your experience is so common from what, you know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. It's just, this is like, you're told to read the Bible all the time mm -hmm. and then you do. Yeah. And then, oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this there happened. There's a lot you know? of those in there. <laughs> There's a lot of like people dying and, you know, virgins or the property of their parents and things like that. So it's what do you do with that? And see, I, I would I mean, I have no problem with language when you say like it's fallible. Right. It's it, which, by what you mean, it's not a rule that is to be applied throughout time or something like that. But I'd I, I like to think of it as it's contextual, see, because in the ancient times, people did think differently. And what we see in the Bible is people struggling to I really think this is true. People people struggling to wrap their arms around their experience of God in their moment and in their culture. And that's an invitation for us to do the same thing. It doesn't mean anything goes, but it just it means we have to think about this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, your your question, I guess, you know, when did it start? That's that's a tough tough question. I know that for a lot of us, maybe the 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 um the most immediate kind of prompting for that kind of idea of the Bible, sort of like a rule book, is probably like maybe the Reformation, even the Protestant Reformation, where the Bible came to be sort of put back in a place of authority. Right. And, and, you know, as opposed to the Catholic Church, which is a little bit simplistic, because it's like Catholics didn't believe in the Bible or something, and they, they, they do. I mean, they're great biblical scholars or Catholics, they're wonderful people, blah, blah, that kind of stuff. But, um, but, you know, there's something that happened about the Bible being like scripture alone is our final authority. Well, that's great, but that obliges you to read it. 
And on top of that, the Bible's clear. It's clear to everyone who reads it. You know, it's not hiding things from you. It's, it's, it's perspicuous. It is clear. And you put those things together. The Bible is this great authority. And it's clear. Well, then you start pouring over it to sort of see, well, what do I do right now in this situation? I think that sort of encourages a rule book mentality. And yeah. and it sort of even got worse in America than, say, in Europe, because in America, there's no state church. We were founded by a bunch of independent religious renegades. And when when people sort of, you know, spreading across the country, there was no state church to follow them. And so they didn't have the authority of, let's say, bishops. All they had is the Bible. So the Bible takes on this role that it's sort of like forcing it into a role I think the Bible is not really set up to handle, which is right. here's what you do, right? It yeah. more pushes us towards curiosity, I think. Yeah, and I love that you're encouraging curiosity because I think that what a lot of people feel, and I hear this from my audience, is anxiety and fear. And um, and I had a really good talk with an atheist, too. She was like, why do you think that your religion doesn't practice apologetics in the way that like why wouldn't you be prepared to answer questions on the slavery verses or on the verses about women or homosexuality in a way that's actually thoughtful and culturally appropriate because all it does is like um make us impotent in these arguments really like all of a sudden you know because when you do independently read the bible which i always try to remind people too we didn't even have access to as the average reader until like the advent of the printing press right even the honor of us being able to read these words is brand new so like you know a girl like me from new jersey at 15 years old reading the bible and being like i understand this it's like (laughs) Hey, little one, you're being a little yeah. arrogant about that's ador- that. That's adorable. That's just plain adorable. Good for and you. Trust me, <laughs> I thought I did. I was like, yeah. it's very clear, and yeah. you know, and and people argue with me on that. They're like, you know, uh, that's another question. Why do you think Christians are so susceptible to actually attacking one another verbally, silencing each other in church? Like. I've heard from a lot of people that say they tried to ask some valid questions like in their youth group, like, hey, I have a gay friend that I absolutely love. How do I address that? And they're just given Bible verses and basically told to shut up. And it's like, why do we do that disservice? Why do we get scared to have these talks? Well, I, I think you're, you're answering the question. is It's fear, right? It's fear of, I mean, if you listen, if you have like a Bible and a faith that it all fits together, right? Certain questions aren't going to help that. And it's going to sort of, it's like a Jenga tower, you know, sort of taking little pieces out, the whole thing crumbles. And your faith gives you a narrative. It gives you a way of looking at your life. It gives you a way of looking at the world. And all the major questions are answered, including what happens to you after you die. That's, that's a big one, I think, that really drives people to, to like really have a stranglehold on their faith and this idea of certainty. And I, I think it's fear. And I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that in a mocking way, because I think we're all afraid of something uh, one way or another. But I think that life of faith is one of letting go of that need to have all the answers and realizing that maybe maybe God is great. Maybe God is out ahead of us. Maybe even a book like the Bible cannot capture and put its arms around God completely. Maybe the Bible is more like I mean, the way I've heard other people put it, and I like this, the Bible is more of a means of grace. It's a way of getting you into this divine conversation, but it's not there to sort of 
like, what's the issue confronting us today? Oh, abortion. Okay, let's look for a verse. You're not going to find one. I mean, I can make plenty of verses talk about it, but it's got nothing to do with it. So right. the Bible's just not prepared to, to act that way for us, but we want it to. And when we're maybe reminded of the fact that it's that life is really messy and the Bible doesn't give all those answers. In fact, the Bible is plenty messy. It can cause fear in people. And I absolutely get it. I just want to say, don't be afraid. What, what if God exists? And what if God cares for you? And what if you're just a human being trying to figure things out? I know. I love that you say that. You're like, what if God is okay with the fact that we're human beings? <laughs> and yeah. that's really like a revolutionary idea because you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. What if it's okay if I mess up? What if it's okay I ask a question that potentially offends someone or mm -hmm. is wrong in some way? Yeah. What if you're just plain wrong? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. You know, just, yeah, plenty That's of people. Eternal damnation. I know. Well, if you're wrong about one thing, it all sort of connects together because you have this great system. I'm just not sure if God is as big on our systems as we are. I think systems are good. They're helpful. They're like, they get a certain kind of structure. But if that becomes the end in itself, you know, if that be, essentially, if the system becomes God. Mm. That's when you run into problems. And I think that's where the Bible is really great at smashing some of those things. And and I think most people who have lived and tried to follow Jesus for any length of time have found their own systems dissolving or crumbling and other things taking its place. Because if God is true, if God is infinite, and I'll just throw that around, if God is just big, <laughs> whatever that means, and if God is really, if there's mystery to God, because who can, like you said, who can actually comprehend God completely? Nobody. If those things are true, we're always going to be moving and changing and figuring things out. And, and if we do it with humility and with integrity and with sincerity, I mean, isn't that what a parent wants their children to do? I think so. Yeah. And you mentioned the idea of God not being a helicopter parent. How would you describe that for the audience? Well, I wish I had known this term before, but a lawnmower parent is probably even a better way of putting it, where you're sort of like mowing down the opposition in front of your kid. But, you know, I don't think God is about like hovering over us, making sure we have the right answers, make sure we go through life. If you just listen to my word and do what it says, it's just going to go nice and smooth through life. I think God is a wise parent, which lets the children work it out and think about what to do and and learn from our mistakes because that produces maturity and that produces a confidence in life that produces a sense of i think peacefulness and serenity where it's okay not to be right all the time it's okay to figure things out it's okay to be wrong and and that's exactly what drives us towards that that maturity which i call wisdom in in this book yeah so yeah I mean, just, <laughs> that brings so much peace just to hear you say that like it's okay to be wrong it's okay to mess up mm -hmm. it's okay to be a human how like, obvious can that be i mean if they think about it it's like if it's not okay then it's really not it's it's not god telling us it's not okay to be okay to be wrong it's actually other people telling us that. Mm -hmm. And at that point, that's that's getting semi-cultish for me. You know, I don't think like, I mean, it's it's good to respect leaders and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that's, that that's wrong, but leaders don't know everything either. 
people with PhDs don't know everything either. We're, we're talking about God. Let's not lose focus of the subject here, which can't be objectified and controlled by definition, right? So we're all sort of figuring this out together. Yeah, and we should give ourselves permission to do that and give others permission to do that. Right, and not ostracize them and make them feel stupid, like you did when you were 15 to other people in your church. You didn't know <laughs> you, you should have seen me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You should have seen me arguing with my biology teacher about evolution. <laughs> yes, because not only are you an expert in God, but you know evolution, you know biology, too, right? You knew oh, yes. Because oh, if you know the Bible, it makes you an expert in everything. It's amazing. Physics, biology. Oh, it's just what a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think something that brings me the most pain in our day and age is the us versus them mentality that we've all adopted together. And everyone's just as guilty, whether you be Christian, non-Christian, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. There is this huge animosity bordering on hate that is growing within all of us and that's what offends me the most I try to just be kind and loving but most of the time when I offend someone by just bringing up a point that you know offends their sensibilities they just quickly say well you're not a Christian and it's like why does it always have to go to that it's almost like <laughs> you're gonna fight with your boyfriend and every time he's like well I'm dumping you it's like yeah Dude, we are just having uh, an argument. Yeah. Can you not like a discussion? I know. Like well, I just tell people, listen, it's not your call. <laughs> you know, you, you're not. That's that's above your pay grade to make that kind of determination. Or right. when people say to me, you know, like we disagree and stuff, and they say you're attacking the Bible. I said, no, I'm really sort of attacking you. And your problem is you don't know the difference between the two. What you think may not be ultimate reality. We're all trying to understand this, and we need to be in a, in a mode of conversation and dialogue. And this, is, I, I say this every chance, I, every chance I get. There's something about the history of Judaism that's very, very helpful for Christians to learn from, yeah. which is the expectation of debate and dialogue and disagreement, the expectation that theology evolves. I mean, you ask Jews who are really rich in their tradition, they'll never say, you know, we do this because the Bible says it. It's more... We've worked through the complexities of the Bible, and our tradition embraces various ways of looking at some of these things. And, and it's because for them, this, this idea of debate and disagreement is actually an act of worship. That's how you access God. For Christians, it's more, well, for the Christians that we're talking about here, it's more, no, the debate isn't worship. It's the lack of it. It's like when you have all the answers, then you go to it. And I think the Jewish way really embraces the mystery of God. And I say that, that's like one of my favorite words the past 10 years, that embraces the mystery of God mm. rather than God is controllable. By our stu I can't even find my car keys at the time. Like, I'm going to be an expert on God. Are you kidding me? It doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. actually quite ridiculous. It's so freeing when you embrace wonder instead of knowing. I don't think people realize how counterproductive it can be to their faith to have to know everything all the time. Like you bring up the point, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these different sections of people, even within the Bible, that are constantly arguing with each other that don't see eye to eye. And I think a lot of times in like American evangelical Christianity, we assume the Bible is this very fluid thing where everyone sees it the same way. And the Bible doesn't reflect that truth at all. Right. Or they should see it the same way. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? Getting back to your earlier point, 
but again that's just you just read it right and yeah and and it, you right away you're 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 struck by things and you know the obvious things that i mean when people want to talk about this stuff in other contexts they'll say well listen there are four gospels and they don't really fit together they, they give different perspectives on jesus and those perspectives are not always compatible and by the way, atheists know that very well, and they're ready well, to do. you. <laughs> but you see, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, people become atheists for all sorts of reasons, you know, probably some legitimate and some less legitimate. But I think this is a legitimate, illegitimate reason, because they were taught probably somewhere that it's the Word of God. It's going to be no no tensions, no contradictions. That's see, that's that's a very conservative Christian mentality that produces atheists. If my choice is between being an atheist and being like that, I'm an atheist too. Mm. There's no question about that. Because it's the other way. It's just it doesn't make like I have to turn off every part of my brain when I'm reading this stuff and just sort of like you know accept it like an automaton. Right. But the Bible is see that's where you know if the Bible is ancient, ambiguous, and diverse. That's part of the diversity of the Bible. It is intentionally diverse. Because it's written by different people at different times, reflecting different moments for different purposes. And, and because people all have perspectives, no one has like a top-down view of reality. So you're seeing that in the Bible. And I'm glad we have that in the Bible. I'm glad we have discussions in the Bible about you know, whether God loves the city of Nineveh, book of Jonah, or whether God wants to destroy the city of Nineveh, the book of Nahum. They're both there. And the people who compiled this Bible were not morons. They knew that, right? You have laws in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that flat out contradict each other. They say doing different things. They command you from God to Moses on Mount Sinai to do different things. The people who compiled these books into what we call the Bible, they knew that. Oh, they knew that very well. But you honor and respect the traditions. And the fact that they're now in this thing we call a book means you have to grapple with it because God is not going to be easily captivated. And I just, in my mind's eye, I have this totally fictional scene in my head where, you know, God's with the Israelites at some point way, way in the past. And they say, you know, listen, Lord, thank you. This has been great. Thank you for Egypt and getting us out of there. Blah, blah. Can we have all this in writing? Because as time <laughs> goes by, we're going to want to read about this. And God says, no, nah, you don't want to do that because you're going to mistake that for me. And it's not going to work out. No, no, no. I promise you that's not going to happen. This is going to work out just fine. It's going to be perfect. And the Lord says, OK, listen, I'll capitulate. I'll give you this Bible. We'll call it a Bible. Right. And it's going to be all these stories. But just to make sure you don't get the wrong idea. I'm going to have it like contradict itself all over the place. I'm going to have different perspectives given. I'm going to start off a story where there is a magic garden with two magic trees and a talking snake. That doesn't get you thinking about maybe metaphor and not perfect history. Or you have Psalms that say different things than you might find in the books of First and Second Kings. And you have Psalms that argue with me. And call me to task. And even one Psalm 89 that practically calls God a liar for not coming through with his promises. Just to get just so you know, <laughs> this is not that that under glass thing that you want to have. And see, to me, that's a beautiful text mm. that that is something that you can dig into and wake up in the morning and not be afraid that God's out, out to get you or something like that. It's it's like God is cajoling and and inviting us, I think, for a life of exploration of faith and that's not some you know wimpy you know new agey you know the way people use that word kind of thing like you're just supposed to be obedient 
I don't see the Bible actually doing that at the end of the day. I see it doing something very, very different. And it's because I've read it carefully, not because I skimmed over it. No, and your book makes that very clear. I Again, I love how accessible it is. And at the same time, I'm like, dang, <laughs> this man has done his research. Um, well, this brings up another good point, which is your call to wisdom and your ultimate belief that that the Bible is a call for us to exercise wisdom. And your best example of this to me is that when the word became flesh in Jesus Christ, that he answers every question, question frustratingly so, in parable. He's like, mm -hmm. never gives a straight answer. Yes. I think that proves your point beautifully. It's like if God wanted his word, his son to lead us to absolute truth, mm -hmm. black and whiteism, then he wouldn't be giving these ambiguous, crazy parables that would be even further confusing 2000 years later. Um, but I love that you say where I have it written down that wisdom is our sacred responsibility and a co-creating with the creator. Could you dive into what you mean by the sacred responsibility and this co-creation? Because I love your perspective. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if we think of wisdom as, again, like learning and, and, and learning to walk the path that is the path of God and to God. Because the idea of wisdom in the Old Testament, like a big metaphor is path or way. It's not a fortress. It's not, it's not a um, stay behind closed doors safely. It's a path that you walk which involves risk, which involves learning, which involves stumbling, which involves going quickly, which involves going slowly, which includes storms and sunny skies and all those kinds of things. So that is that, that path, to walk that path and not to retreat back into sort of a fortress of certainty, I think that is a sacred responsibility for people. That, that is what it means to be on this you know, journey or pilgrimage of faith, which also have become very important words to me. Um, I think to be co-creators, what I mean is this, and it gets a little bit, um, ho hopefully not too abstract. This, I think this is like the most abstract part of the book. I think what, it's beautiful. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot then. Um, the book of Proverbs connects this idea of wisdom with God's creation. And it's by wisdom that God created all that there is. And the book of Proverbs even personifies wisdom. Wisdom is a woman, first of all. But wisdom was also born of God. Yeah, no, they see, there you go. You got to go to the Old Testament to get your happy verses. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, wisdom is pictured also as a, as a child who's begotten of God, not created, mm. begotten, birthed. And is running around God's feet as God is creating, but wisdom is always there by him. So wisdom is actually what connects us to the created order. And this gets into all sorts of things like how the Israelites conceived of creation. It was ordering chaos. Mm -hmm. And so when we follow the path of wisdom, I think a, a very healthy way to think about that is that we are getting, getting connected to God as creator and we are learning to bring the order, this is very metaphorical, the order of creation into our daily lives. That doesn't mean everything works out, but I think it is translated into things like peace and harmony and joy and perseverance. You know, that's a Paul word, by the way, and perseverance and hope that does not disappoint. You know, it's, it's a way of living this life of faith where whatever happens, you know that you're intimate with the creator. 
even if it doesn't seem like that, even if horrible things happen, that's the paradox of the gospel, even if horrible things happen, well, God in Christ has experienced all those horrible things too. Mm. So even there, you're not disconnected with the creator. And I, and I think to me, that's again, um, that, that's, that's an idea that's just muted in a lot of, you know, again, the, the evangelical world that we're talking about in the fundamentalist world as well. That's not paraded as much as I think it should. Because it's too ambiguous. It's not controlled enough. It's like you can't, what are the rules to follow? What do I do? And rules are not bad. I get it. But I just, this is not at the end of the day about, all right, humans, I'm the infinite creator of a universe that's 13.7 billion years old and stretches 93 trillion light years across. And there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy and hundreds of billions of galaxies that all have hundreds of billions of stars in them. And I am, by definition, infinite. But all that aside, for you little people, it all comes down to a few things. Here's some rules to follow. If you follow them, everything's great. If you don't follow them, everything's horrible. And if that's what God is like, I want nothing to do with them. But I don't think God is like that. I think you have moments in the Bible where God appears to be that way. But I understand why people talk like that back then. And it's not they're stupid. It's that they're ancient. And I want to respect that. And I want to try to see, okay, what are they saying about God here that maybe I could learn something from? But at the end, end of the day, we don't stop reading there. We have to keep going. It's this whole 66 books, which does something, I think, pretty incredible at the end. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you touched upon a lot in that, that one of the main problems that I've faced and that I keep reminding people is that I really believe that many churches I've experienced, not all, but many, discourage self-trust. Oh, yeah. And so I would believe and assume that a lot of people hearing this call to wisdom would say, this is scary. Because if I don't have this rule book to follow, if I can't pluck a verse, um, the Paul verse is primarily people use right now. Um, you call him like, he's like the black and white guy for the Protestants. And they love him because his verses seem to address a lot of our very culturally relevant situations we're having at this moment. Should women preach at church? Should we attend a gay wedding? Should... We, you know, keep kids at the border. He is being used out of context to justify those things. So my question becomes, how do we get people to understand that you're allowed to trust your moral intuition, the cognitive dissonance you experience when you look at the galaxy and then you read a verse that makes you feel like God is tiny and vengeful? And also the attack that I very often get is you're a feelings-based Christian. You don't even care about the Bible. You're trusting your feelings. Like Christians love, I mean, that's a generalization that's not fair, but people <laughs> that really want to cling to the Bible as a rule book really discourage each other from using their thoughts, using their intellect, using these gifts of wisdom that we've been given by God. So how do we help people move from that fear-based mentality into like, don't worry, you won't cross the line. Like if you don't have this rule book, aren't you just going to fall off a cliff into sin? You know, if I tell people to trust their moral intuition, doesn't that mean we're completely rejecting what Paul said? How do you get people comfortable with wisdom? Yeah, I, it's it's hard to get people comfortable with anything. And I, I found that they need to start 
being in a place, ironically, because of their own experience, where they start questioning things. Mm -hmm. And I think then just to have things out there, whether it's uh, what you do with videos and podcasting, all that stuff, or what other people do with videos and podcasting, that they know there's a place to go where they can have this conversation where other people are not um, going to talk down to them for thinking that. And I, I happen to think, you know, just a, a, just a slight, slight side issue here, but this whole idea of not trusting your experience, which you said, of course, you're all raised like, dude, you're going to hell. I mean, why would you trust your own experience? And I really like, you know, Richard Rohr, who's a uh, person I've gotten, yeah, I've gotten a lot out of him, but um, he has this analogy he uses all the time with the tricycle and it, the theological knowledge, knowledge of God is, is pictured for him as a tricycle. You have three wheels, experience, scripture, and tradition. Mm -hmm. And the front wheel is experience, because if you think about it, experience always drives our theology. Oh, no, not me. I'm just getting it from the Bible. Pal. You have no idea how much your experience determines how you even read this text, mm -hmm. how much the tradition that you're a part of tells you how to read this text, how much being a white male in the West affects how you read certain things. And I could give you dozens of examples in my own life of things I was like, mm, you know, not even seeing it because of my own location. And we're all like that. This is you cannot escape human subjectivity. There is no objective anchor point. The Bible has to be interpreted. Guess what? It's been interpreted in so many different ways for such a long time. Either, either there's just one microgroup that's right, and everybody thinks through that microgroup, or maybe in a sense it's the diversity is actually a fine thing to have in the church where people disagree on things, right? So, but getting people to that point, it's like they have to, they have to like slam the Bible closed like you did. And say, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And and that requires a little bit of courage, I think. And it requires a commitment to your own personal integrity. Mm. Here's the thing. Okay, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe God knows what you're thinking? Yes. Okay. It behooves you to be honest then. Because it's not like you're trying to fool the creator like by acting a certain way when inside you're experiencing something. Just throw it out there. right? Just be honest it's like you know what do you think god wants dishonest people non-reflective people people who lack integrity really that's what it comes down to doesn't make them bad people but they just they don't have an integration of who they are inside of them is that what god wants no i don't believe that i refuse to believe that mm -hmm. and i don't think the christian faith and its best best expressions has ever suggested that yeah. It's just sort of us now. It's just us grappling with a whole bunch of stuff in the past couple hundred years. It's it's pretty messed up. This is the worst time to be a Christian, by the way. You think so? No, I don't know. Actually, that's not true. We're not being hung upside down on crosses anymore. So that's, that's true. Good. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I'm going to take that back. There's no time that's a perfect time to be a Christian. See, there's no there are no good old days where everything's working out great, which includes the New Testament period itself, because... You know, the earliest documents we have are probably like Galatians and James, maybe First Thessalonians. And there you have a documented tiff between Paul and Peter and James. Right? Yeah. Paul is not get Peter is like the super disciple, right? And and the handpicked guy from Jesus. And James is Jesus's brother for heaven's sake. And Paul says, I disagree with you. And says, yeah, well, you're wrong. And you're wrong. it's like the early the, the earliest moment of the Christian faith, at least the earliest recorded moment we have 
is an imperfect time, mm. right? And this this myth that people keep pushing that, well, at the beginning, everything was great. You know, read things in Acts where people gave things away and everybody lived in harmony with each other for like three minutes. The <laughs> reality of it is much more complicated. And it's not like the beginning was pristine and perfect. And everybody believed the same thing until you came along, Brendan, started reading your Bible and caused some trouble for everybody. It, it's never been like that. It's always been tremendous theological diversity because we're limited human beings trying to understand the infinite creator i think we're going to get diversity out of that which is what you see in the bible well i think this is a good segue to the final questions about paul because <laughs> hey, I, I don't think... do therapy i'm just saying I don't, i'm not licensed i would love to but <laughs> I'd have no, the more. i would actually like to share something with you and that is that paul has been the most difficult character for me because of course you know like it'd be so easy to mm -hmm. do a video for the god is a great community about how being gay isn't a sin um because you know jesus came we threw out all the old rules jesus never mentioned it and then paul comes in and he has to say it so i had a lot of um actually animosity for him i was like where does this character fit in to the realm of christianity he seems to contradict even the messages of jesus and the way that i again look at the galaxy and intuitively feel the creator and that love and um i was actually talking to a friend of mine and i spoke ill of paul i said something like sassy and very jersey and i was mad at him and I, I felt a really deep conviction in my spirit. And I felt like God was like, no, 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 no. Like, that's mm -hmm. my one of my precious, just like men. And I was, and after that, I was like, okay, well, you're just going to need to send me on a journey of softening my heart and, and drawing me to compassion to this person because mm -hmm. I do not like this dude. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and... I mean, I'm assuming that you're saying why it's difficult or really hard to be a Christian right now has a lot to do with these Paul verses that we attack each other with and the society that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Do you see right. those tied together or? Well, yeah, I do. I do see certainly things with like hot button issues that mm -hmm. has been a part of the church for maybe a generation now. And um, but see, again, this is where. And again, this is where people, I'm going to lose some people because they're going to say, see, you just don't believe the Bible. But, you know, Paul, I think, is struggling and even in times, I think, winging it a little bit. This is That's my impression with saying, how can I wrap my head around this thing that's happened and talk about it in this culture that I'm in, right? This thing being Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jesus, a crucified and risen Messiah, first of all, that makes no sense. But Paul believed it by faith. You know, he had, a, he had a vision, right? And and this is a faith thing for Paul, as it always is for everybody. But it's a game changer. And so Paul has to rethink not only his native Judaism, but his Greco-Roman context as well. And he's speaking into those worlds. He's not speaking into ours directly. Maybe indirectly, he can glean some things. Okay, here's one example of, of a way that I read Paul that might be helpful today, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. When Paul talks about certain things about women, Paul's actually sort of diverse about how he talks about women. I mean, sometimes it's like, shut up. Other times, 
they're like great benefactors of the church and they prophesy. Right? It just depends on what you're reading. But at the very least, Paul does cause problems for people. But part of the reason probably why Paul has, let's say, maybe there's at times a men and women thing for Paul is because of the culture that he lives in. I mean, that's the only culture Paul knows. Right. And so he's trying to, I mean, I can imagine Paul like walking around, scratching his head saying, how can I bring Jesus into this reality that I live in? And so he says things like husbands and wives submit to each other. Mm-hmm. Alarms, alarms, alarms. You don't do that in a correct moment. There is a pecking order. The gods, you know, king, men, women, you know, children, slaves. That's it. Right. And, you know, so Paul's doing something, I think. He's doing something redemptive. And the way that we can model Paul is not by taking Paul's answers, but by reflecting in our culture also the need to bring this Jesus to the world that we live in, which may look the exact opposite, right? Today we have women who run countries, you know, and big companies. And we've also sort of been enlightened over the past few years. You don't objectify, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? It's like we're, we're finally starting to learn tiny little baby steps that maybe the sexes are fully human, both of them, you know, why not? So, yeah. or all of them, you know, not both, all of them. It's just, it's just, it's a diverse world out there. And the way we can honor Paul is by doing our own theological thinking today, which might we may come up with completely opposite answers that Paul does, because the context has changed. The context is different. Now you're saying, well, that's not really being biblical. It is. It's just not being biblicistic and proof texting. That's the difference. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really a crazy actually when you step back and realize we're going into you know 2020 very soon and that Paul was actually being quite the feminist and revolutionary by just saying husbands also submit to your wives mm-hmm. like i really truly i i know that we don't fathom how out of the box that actually could have been at that time and your point is 2000 years later we need to have made more progress than that like he took it as far as he possibly could and i love what you say in the book and you helped soften my heart to him even more actually because i was like oh this man was imprisoned for his faith he was faithful he was grappling he was connected to the divine like i can't disrespect him the way that i wanted to in that moment but (laughs) you bring up like a really great point like if you just completely throughout something insane like you're living like you said in greco-roman culture and there is no equality between the sexes and paul says not only husbands submit to your wives but also you guys are completely equal and she can also go out and and run the carriage off if she wants to and also me too and also like they would be like whoa like that is too much that is like way too past their pay grade of understanding he had to work in the context of like we see women as nothing we see women as property this is i'm going to take it here in 2020 oh my god what a responsibility we have like you said now that we've had this beautiful enlightenment that i 100 percent believe is god ordained i mean for me i'm in my 30s and just looking back and realizing the way i've been mistreated as a woman and understanding that i wasn't even comprehending the level of mistreatment that I was tolerating, even those awakenings, those moments of enlightenment, I think 
it would serve Christians so much to realize we don't have to confine God to these small boxes, that God is constantly on the move with us. A move like Me Too, a move like Theresa May being prime minister and women having this power isn't something to battle. I mean, what do you say to the men that are fighting that at this moment that are using the words of Paul to justify, no, women can't preach, women do need to sit down? I mean, that's hard because, uh, again, they're not going to, if you're not ready for the conversation, it's not going to happen. And the debate doesn't happen because there's a deep commitment to the way the world works. And the Bible is big enough and flexible enough. You can find things to support your worldview. So that's it's the battles on that level. It's not like, let's go through these verses patiently, right? Because that's just not going to happen. Mm. And so I think, you know, it's it's probably really important for, for for women who don't feel valued to not be a part of those congregations or movements that don't value women as full equals. Right? Mm. And, and that's a hard thing because, it's like, where do you go? Like, what do you do? But there are churches out there, by the way. I, we um we had on our podcast, we interviewed, oh, I guess maybe a couple of weeks ago, a Pentecostal theologian, Cheryl Bridges Johns, who's just amazing. And she's Pentecostal. And we talked to her about this very thing. And she said, yeah, my tradition has like never really been a thing. Like my great-grandmother founded a church and preached in 1850-something. It's just, you know, they're always, it's just there are some traditions in the church that simply always read those texts by Paul and said, yeah, that doesn't really hold anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's that's a part of the Christian experience, too. So it's a matter of going out and finding these places and exploring them and not thinking that this is a hard thing, not thinking that the way you were raised to think about this stuff, the way, like you said, it's so ingrained, you don't even know what's happening to you. That's not normal Christianity. That's an encultured version of Christianity that is actually harmful to other people. There are other versions out there that don't do that. You have permission to go find them, and you're not abandoning the faith when you do that, even though people tell you that. But that's not their call. What do they know? This is a good moment for the final question. I have this quote from you. You write, at what point do we cross the line from adapting a tradition so it can survive to compromising the tradition beyond recognition? Do you have last words of encouragement for the Goddess Grey audience and just like we're talking about embracing this wisdom and trusting that you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that if you walk past these verses in Paul and choose to evolve past them, that you're not disobeying God, you're not disobeying the Bible, and that you won't cross the line? How do you get that confidence? Yeah, I mean, there are lines to cross. The thing is that we don't always know what they are. And sometimes we just have to be in community. And I think humility is actually a big thing. What, what I love about Paul is like, his biggest sin is pride, you know, and the biggest Christian virtue is humility. And try it for five minutes. It's hard. You know, being, being humble is very, very, we're not humble people by nature, I think. And so I think exploring our faith with humility and saying, like, I'm not here to obliterate lines. I'm not here to be nasty towards the Bible or anybody else. I just have to figure things out. And that may mean leaving familiar territory and going someplace else. And you're not going to know until you do that whether you've actually crossed some line or whether you're just seeing a bigger thing out there, right? So – and and if you think of God as not against you in that effort, that 
there is not hell waiting for you as soon as you make a micromillimeter sidestep in the wrong direction. Right. If God is a good parent, if God loves you and even likes you, you know, and, and is just sort of on your side, you know, and, 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 and wants you to grow to know him, to know God. I don't think God's a male, but to know God better and well. And that's a source of joy and a source of peace. I think if we go with that attitude, it's, it doesn't become about lines anymore. So the way I, I look at it this way, I've used this analogy elsewhere. I can't remember where, but think of like a dog being tied to a bungee cord. And you know those those things you screw into the ground that keeps the dog the little leashes there. And it's not about like don't cross that line. It's go and explore. There are going to be limits. You know, like a bungee cord doesn't go on forever, but it's a big long bungee cord. The thing is, you're always tethered to the center. You're always te- you're always tethered back to something, and the back to something is God in Christ. That's the back that you're tethered into. Call it Trinity. Call it whatever you want to. It's just this is this is the center point that that holds you not hold you back it's a thing that that um uh it's a thing that actually gives you the space to explore in a sense not in a wild way but in a in, in an adventuresome way and jesus is the center and it's not a box of rules that you're supposed to stay inside of and i i've always i've liked that analogy i've used it for many years and i it means a lot to me too that it's you know, hey, why don't you see how far that bungee cord can stretch? Yeah. <laughs> and you might get pulled back. You might get snapped back, but not in an angry sense, but more like 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 your experience of Paul, Brenda. You know, it's like yeah, you're, like a sense of conviction. Like, yeah. yeah, I get you. It's okay. I'm not mad at you, but you might want to come back a little bit here. I'm just, okay. And, and I think that the bungee cord that's driven into the ground, it sort of works that way too. It's like, okay, maybe that's too much. Mm-hmm. come back here and rest a while and then go out again and see what you see. Right. But that's a very different attitude. To me, that's very encouraging. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I charge extra for that. But that's <laughs> um, well, it's been a great pleasure. Where can people find your books or your do you have a Twitter? I know you have a wonderful podcast. Yeah. Well, I ha- my website, pedens.com, also the Bible for normal people.com takes you to the same place, but th- we have a podcast. I'm on Twitter and I have a Facebook page. And I was at which channel goes, which, but you're intelligent people. You can type in names and figure <laughs> it out, right? So, um, you know, I, I tried to, yeah, Twitter's fun. You know, I don't spend all day on it like some people, but I like it. And, um, and Facebook, I post things and I, there's something that goes up on the website almost every day, you know, that gets put out to social media and like where I'm speaking in my books and stuff like that. That's all on there. So that, that's the best place to go. All right. Great. Thank you so much for participating in this conversation. It was wonderful. Please, you guys go pick up how the Bible actually works by Pete ends. It's amazing. Can't recommend it enough. We love you guys. God bless.